The day of the Lord is coming. It is near. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do please be seated. Today I'd like primarily to talk about the Old Testament reading that we heard from Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, one of the Old Testament prophets. A word about the context of our reading. At the time in Judah and Jerusalem there was national and religious calamity. A plague of locusts had ravaged the land. A drought was abroad. And it's not entirely clear in the text, but it seems to be talking about a possible invasion from a foreign army. But the plague of locusts was particularly problematic for the people. It meant that there was no wine. It meant that there was no grain. And this had effects socially and economically but it also had a religious significance because no offerings were able to be made in the temple as a result of this plague of locusts. And so in this way, we can see that the national calamity, economic calamity, was linked to the religious calamity. The national poverty led to religious poverty, but the same was also true the other way round. And this is the real meaning of the text, that it was in fact the religious poverty of the time that had led to this plague of locusts and to the national disaster and calamity that had come upon the people. Now Joel doesn't go into a huge amount of detail about what was going on, but we can take from what is said particularly in the first chapter, that essentially what is happening here is the same thing that is happening in most of the Old Testament prophets. A prophet is raised up by God to denounce the sin and the indifference of God's people, to denounce their lack of care for the things of God. A couple of very short quotations from the first chapter before our reading. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Again, put on sackcloth and lament, O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. The implication of all of this is that the priests were not taking their roles very seriously. They were not setting an example. They were not leading the people spiritually. And so the nation had gone astray. In the absence of spiritual life, the people were simply getting drunk and reveling. But not anymore. The plague of locusts had put a stop to all that because the grain offering and the wine offering was cut off. Notice here, friends, the corporate dimension of all of this. The corporate dimension, that this is happening together. This is happening nationally. This is happening in terms of people's individual behaviour. And it's happening in terms of their spiritual and religious life as a people. And what we learn from this is that we are connected to one another. We're not just atomised individuals out there living our lives, but we're connected socially, economically spiritually. 
And this is something we shouldn't forget about during this season of Lent. Yes, we are seeking individual spiritual renewal in the face of Christ, but we are also seeking for a corporate renewal, a corporate renewal as a people, a corporate renewal as a church, and, dare I say it, a corporate renewal as a nation. There are many parallels between the situation in ancient Judah and the present day. And since it is appropriate, according to the words of the Apostle Peter, to let judgment begin with the household of God, it is appropriate also to say that the church must take responsibility for the situation that we face in the same way as the priests had to take responsibility for the situation in ancient Judah more widely. I've spoken before about the situation of the Church of England. The Church of England is really in an institutional crisis. A central body called the Church Commissioners, which you may have heard of, have billions of pounds in central funds, and yet individual dioceses around the country are hemorrhaging money. Churches are being closed up and down this nation and amalgamated with one, of one another, and numbers of worshippers are declining rapidly in most places. I've heard the Reverend Marcus Walker from St Bartholomew's the Great in London talk about a doom spiral. The doom spiral goes something like this, that as numbers of worshipping congregants decrease, this leads to less money and less resources for the church to carry out her mission which entails, in turn, fewer clergy to carry out and lead effective mission, which leads, in turn, to ever-reducing number of worshippers and then to less money and less resources and fewer clergy. And the cycle continues and continues in a downward trajectory, a doom spiral. Marcus Walker also talks about the continuing controversy within the church over the decades-long child abuse scandals. Many people who have been intensely damaged by what has happened in the church say that there is a lack of transparency and accountability in this process at the very highest levels. Also, as we approached the season of Lent, which we find ourselves in today, considerable controversy has been caused in the last weak by the fact that a so-called silent disco has taken place in the mother church of the Anglican Communion, Canterbury Cathedral itself, the place of the martyrdom of Thomas Beckett. Drinking, singing, debauchery, dancing in this thousand-year-old church. Is there a parallel between the prophet Joel's day and ours, I ask? a lack of devotion to God, drunkenness and revelling, national and spiritual decline. Grain and wine were cut off worship in the nation of Judah and in Jerusalem. Bread and wine are lacking in our churches up and down the land due to lack of money, due to lack of clergy to offer these acts of worship to God in Holy Communion. This is the day of the Lord of which the prophet Joel speaks. God's judgment lies at the heart of all of this. God's judgment for sin 
and for indifference. And yet, the day of the Lord is not merely one of judgment, but it is also one of hope. And our hope, friends, is entirely in the mercy and the love of God. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. We must be real about sin. We must be real about the depths of our indifference to the purposes of God, but we must also be real about the depths of God's mercy and love. God will accept our sincere repentance. God longs to be reunited with us as individuals, as a church, and as a nation. All that he asks of us is that we turn to him, that we repent and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, who gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for all of our sins, great or small. The prophet continues, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. That's a very interesting verse. Who knows whether God will leave a blessing? What would the blessing be? A grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. In other words, the blessing of God in this context is the relenting of the attack from the plague of locusts. And the implication is that new crops to make grain and wine would grow again. And that therefore there would be religious renewal in the temple. The implication of this, friends, is that God's allowing us, enabling us to worship him, is his very blessing. The fact that we are gathered here today and that God has made it possible for us to worship him together is a mercy from his hand. It is his grace. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave behind a blessing? The prophet Joel asks, who knows? It's not a certain promise, but it could be the case for the church, for the Church of England too. There could be a renewal of religious life due to God's blessing as a response to our sincere repentance. It could be the case that as we see a renewal in this church, a renewal in our lives, that bread and wine may be offered in sincere worship up and down this nation once again. That doom spiral which Marcus Walker spoke of may be turned into a virtuous circle that might look something like this. Devotion to Christ, leading to God's pouring out his blessing upon us, leading to more resources for the church to do effective mission, evangelization, witness, discipleship, leading to greater devotion to Christ, leading to God's blessing, and so on and so forth. From a doom spiral to a virtuous circle, all because of the grace of God. Friends, we mustn't forget that. It's a calling to us from God. It's not something that we conjure up by ourselves, but it's a response of our hearts. And it must begin with us. 
It must begin with those of us who have heard the message and decide that we want to respond. And this is one of the reasons that Lent is such a special and precious time, because it gives us a moment to focus our hearts and minds on what God is really calling us to do. How do we return to the Lord? How do we do it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mournings, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Now you may know that the rending of a garment was a sign of sincere repentance or sincere outrage at blasphemy against God. It was an outward display of devotion to God. And yet the point that is being made here in the prophet Joel is that God is really seeking the heart that lies beneath such actions. Our religious observances ought not to be outward displays for God or for other people, but they should be observances that come from our hearts, things which come from deep within us, which are signs of our desire to know God, to know Jesus Christ, and to walk with him. God is seeking broken hearts. We are warned by Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in our reading today of the danger of participating in religious practices for other reasons. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Rend your hearts and not your garments. It's more important, friends, that our hearts are broken than that our garments are torn. It's more important that our hearts are broken than that we participate in any religious observances whatsoever. These observances must be signs of our deep repentance and a desire for God to be present to us. In a moment, we are going to participate in a very solemn act of observance, the litany of penitence and the imposition of ashes. I invite you to this moment. I invite you to participate in it in sincerity of heart, in a prayerful attitude of sincere devotion to God and a desire to turn away from sin and to deepen your repentance. And I invite you to approach this season of Lent in the same way. This is not some kind of dead religious observance which we have to slog through. It is a moment of God-given opportunity for renewal. And so, friends, let our hearts be broken. Let our hearts be broken for our own sin, for our own indifference to God, for our own unwillingness to respond to his purposes in our lives. Let our hearts be broken for our nation and our nation's indifference for God and for the Christian faith which it has left behind and repudiated, largely speaking, and let our hearts be broken for our church. 
Especially let our hearts be broken for the Church of England and let us pray for our bishops and priests and those of influence during this Lenten season for renewal and for repentance. And let us die, let us die to sin in the hope that we will once again live before God. Amen.